As we conclude this week, let me ask you this very important question. Do you feel that God is calling you to do something for his kingdom? This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. As I sit here before this microphone today, there's a lot of stuff that I really want to share with you. This has been quite a week of programs for those that listen to the five days a week of Truth to Ponder on radio and or as a podcast. And I I know that come the end of the week on Friday, we get a bit of a different audience. We're heard in a few other places over the weekend. So on this, what I call the weekend edition of Truth to Ponder, I want to sum up some of the things I talked about. Just take a moment to do that very quickly. Things we talked about this week. We're going to move a lot more away from just doing news stories, as I've mentioned before. I think that the time has come to empower people to get ready for the times in which we live, to ensure that we can do the things that God has called us to do. And in that light, we will deal with some news stories to bring you things maybe you didn't hear or to kind of amplify a little bit in the light of God's word, things that you have heard. And so what I'm trying to explain to you is that a lot of people right now wonder, what does God want me to do? We've just gone through this very difficult time. We're still going through it in much of the world, this pandemic of fear. And churches have been, well, they're not doing as much as they did before. I sometimes wonder if that is by design. One of the most important things, and we talked about it earlier, is we are going to have to build Christian community. Now, what I'm talking about when I say that, I'm not talking about everybody gathers out there in the wilderness and we live on some farm together. I'm not talking about that. That's not what I mean by developing Christian community. We can have our community wherever it is that we live. We just have to find a way to be connected. That's why one of the greatest gifts that Christ gave us is his church. And guess what? We are that. The living body of Christ is the church. It's not a building. It's not a place. It's not an auditorium. It's not a light show. It's not a band. It's not a choir. It's none of it. Those are extras. The living body of Christ are those that truly love the Lord and they gather together as they can. Where one or two are gathered, there he is among you. So let's get a a better understanding of maybe some of the issues we're having with the church today and with the things we need to be doing moving forward today. We need to build up that community of believers. In this modern age, too many churches, too many ministries, too many people rely on other platforms that may not be friendly to what you believe. We've watched, literally in horror over the past year, the rise of the tech tyrants and their ability to silence people on their platforms. Now, we can argue, is it a free speech issue or not? I'm not even going to bother wasting my time in that debate any longer. 
if you choose to be on Twitter, that is your choice. But when Jack Dorsey kicks you off, don't get mad and cry about it. Just go away. The same is true with Facebook. It's not a great place to debate the things of God. It's a horrible place. It's not a good place. It really doesn't work. I'm trying to think over 12 years of using Facebook. Have I ever persuaded anybody for the cause of Christ? Have I ever won anybody over to even conservative thought in a political spectrum? Of course not. People come in there ready to do battle. And you're not going to change their mind. It can be useful, but it's not where the church needs to move itself. During the pandemic, a lot of good friends of mine, and I think highly of them, well, they use Facebook, use Facebook Live to conduct little worship services from their home or maybe one or two people at their church to keep connected. Early on, we didn't know what we were facing, and I understood that. I get it. We, we didn't understand. We, lo- we know a lot more now. Another topic for another day. I, but I had one guy saying, you know, I kind of like this, you know, church of the Facebook, you know, first Facebook uh, something or other church. I, I don't like it. It's one thing to help keep us connected, but it, it can never it can never replace the church. When the early apostles gathered and we, we forget this when the early church gathered. If, you, if you've ever studied church history into depth, you'll understand that church was not about me and my needs, my wants, and make me feel good. It was a time of worship. I've got somebody I'm going to be interviewing in the not-too-distant future, and I'm looking forward to it. I've got on my desk this book called On Earth As It, As it Is in Heaven. And I'm telling you, it it is a book that will explain what true worship is all about. I am amazed on how terribly the Western church, Canadian, American, Australian church has departed what worship is all about. It is not about me. It's not about making me feel good or being entertained. It's what we give unto God. And the early church, they practiced, um, well, they had communion every time they met too the breaking of bread because they needed to partake in the things of Christ, not the things of the world. Many of us are feeling an urgency inside of us. Now, as I I will remind you, and I will say this again, especially for those that only hear this once a week, you will never hear me get on the radio or a podcast and tell you what day Jesus is coming or even what year or what decade. I don't know. Here's what I do know. A lot of people will send me videos. Ooh, this is the mark. Ooh, there's the mark. There's the mark. Oh, is this this the end of time? Is this the great tribulation? They'll go on and on and on, all worrying about trying to plug together all this scripture to figure it all out. I can think of the book, The Late Great Planet Earth. He had it all figured out, too. Hal Lindsey. And and he still, people still think highly of him, yet his, all his books have you know, missed the mark. The, the, the world didn't end in 1988, as he pretty well indicated. It's been a while. So here we are 33 years later, and we're still here. 
So these books of prophecy and when things are going to happen, I just push them off to the side. You know, maybe some fascinating late night reading, but I'd rather dwell on the fact that I know the following from Scripture. As Christians, we will be persecuted and hated of all men. We are never promised life will be good. For too many Christians for too long in the United States, we were never persecuted, never ostracized, never given a lower social credit score because we love Jesus Christ. Now it's going to happen. For the first time in our history, being a Christian is going to cost you. And it may cost a lot more than some are willing to pay. That's not the great tribulation. It's just our tribulation. And a lot of this we bought upon ourselves. We were given a free country. We were given the opportunity to worship and pray freely. And we blew it. We, we trashed it. We ignored it. We disregarded it. We made it secondary. And we were chasing after big houses, nice cars, and, and all the stuff that goes with it. And then our churches got watered down to a social justice garbage gospel, which is not even a gospel, and other churches look like a rock concert to make me feel better with a pep talk and little Jesus on the side. I'm sorry to be so forthcoming about this, but I need to get this message clear. That's why the church folded like a cheap suit in the face of a virus. Yes, Mr. Governor, thank you for protecting my church, because God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit can't. That's what I'm hearing from too many places. God is calling his people and separating the sheep from the goats. There is no time for the church of the wimpy. It is time for the church militant to proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ where the gates of hell can't even prevail against it. I'm tired of the church of the wimpy, tired of the church of the lazy, tired of the church of, I just want to come to service and feel good again. That was never what church was all about. So how many of you are feeling something in your heart and mind right now? How many of you over the last several months, maybe even several years, have felt God saying, there's something to do, but what is it I'm supposed to do? I know I've been there before in my life. I've wept before God years ago and said, where do I go? Here I am, send me. You know, there's a wonderful part of scripture. I want to read it to you. Now, this is from this is from the book of Isaiah, and we are talking about chapter 6. And I'm going to begin at the first verse. And yes, I know some people much prefer the King James Bible version, of, and, but I'm going to read it out of the New American Standard. Believe me, as I've read both, this will make it for many people who hear these words for the first time somewhat clear. Verse 1, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord standing on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Now, this is a vision that Isaiah has. Seraphim were standing above him, each having six wings, with two each covered with covered his face, and two each covered his feet, and with two each flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord 
of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. While the temple was filling with smoke, then I said, Woe to me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and live among people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Let me stop right there. Think about that for just a moment. Put this into your mind, okay? He is seeing the vision of God's holiness and realizes he is living among the unclean people, the unclean lips, the unclean... In other words, the sinful world we're in today. Woe for me, for I am ruined. Well, then what, what does St. Paul say? Come out from among them and touch. do not touch the unclean thing. Stop living in the world. Stop worrying about the world. Put your eyes focused firmly upon Jesus Christ. Stop worrying about how I'm going to survive day to day. Do what God gives you today. Let God take care of the rest. Listen, this past week, and I'm, I'll go into detail in the not-too-distant future, I watched God perform a miracle in, in our family And believe me, it was an absolute from God, from heaven above, no man could have done this miracle, period. I'm seeing a lot more of them lately. So let me just get to this, tie this together real quick. So here's what, call this Isaiah being committed to and his commission from the Lord. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Keep on listening, but do not understand. And keep on looking, but do not gain knowledge. Make the heart full of his people insensitive, the ears dull, the eyes blind. Does any of this sound like what we're going on in the world today? Hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until, listen to this, until the cities are devastated and without inhabitant. Houses are without people and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has completely removed to people and there are many forsaken places in the midst of the land. Yet there will still be a tenth portion in it. And it will begin again to be subject to burning like a tabernacle in oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. We're living in a time, my friend, where this world is totally imploding around us in ways that I've never seen before. This world has seen the Black Death in Europe where a third of the population died. We have seen world wars. We have feared atomic war and now we have been in 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 prison with a virus and we have people that are wanting to push god out you know the idea of being able to get up on a sunday and go to church is going to be how many people when you had the opportunity to do it in america how many were walking away from it when you could go 
well, you know, golf is better. And they, oh, the kids have got softball on Sunday morning. We can't go anymore. We, we have turned our back on God and expect him to do for us like a house servant when we say, I hear God, I need your help. There's going to have to be a change. And part of that change is going to start when people answer his call, like Isaiah did. Remember these words, that I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? In other words, who's going to preach the kingdom? Who's going to teach the youngsters? Who's going to build the schools to get our children out of these satanic, uh, just indoctrination centers we call the public schools and start educating our children the state of oregon teachers are beginning to say you realize that mathematics is racist we're coming into this literally insanity the reprobate minds are now running our colleges universities and public schools and our government it is time for christians to separate ourselves build our own platforms to have our podcast build our own radio programs get our own in other words stop relying on facebook and twitter and the amazons of this world for all your stuff come out from amongst them and then say well how do we do it bob I'll go back to verse 8. Isaiah 6, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Well, guess what? The first step you take is saying, Here I am, send me, send me. Hark the voice of Jesus calling Who will go and work today? Fields are ripe and harvest waiting, who will bear the sheaves away? Loud and long the master calls you, rich reward he offers free. Who will answer gladly saying, here am I, send me, send me. If you cannot speak like angels, if you cannot preach like Paul, you can tell the love of Jesus, you can say he died for all. If you cannot rouse the wicked to the judgment's dread alarms, you can lead the little children to their Savior's waiting arms. If you cannot be a watchman standing high on Zion's wall, pointing out the path to heaven, offering life and peace for all, with your prayers and with your bounties you can do what God demands. You can be like faithful Aaron, holding up the prophet's hands. Let none hear you widely saying, there is nothing I can do. While the multitudes are dying and the master calls for you, take the task he gives you gladly, let his work your pleasure be, and 
answer quickly when he calls you. Here am I, send me, send me. In all honesty, that is one of the hymns that I can remember from my childhood. I first heard it at a church in Hicksville, New York, that's on Long Island, when I was attending parochial school at Trinity Lutheran School and Church. And and I don't know how old I was. I know that I was definitely very young, no doubt in elementary school. And I'm sure that I'd heard that hymn sung before, Hark the Voice of Jesus Calling, Who Will Go and Work Today. And for some reason, one Sunday morning, couldn't tell you when it was, somewhere in the middle 1960s, this young boy sitting in a pew, suddenly the words connected. Suddenly the words, the idea of who will go and work today, who will answer God's call, became real to a very young person. Now honestly, I never I never knew then what it all meant, but I had this, this feeling inside from that day forward that I was God's. I was his child. And I would be willing to do the things that he asked me to do. For many years, I wondered what what all that meant. What what did it mean to to say, here I am, send me. But where am I going to go? What am I going to do? What skills do I bring? Even when I got older and I'm in high school and, you know, I still wondered, is God still have a call in my life? I can remember sitting down with a pastor from our church. We now had moved to a small town near Rochester in Lake Ontario. And and I'm asking, do I have a call on my life? I still felt that, that voice inside. You are mine. I have marked you, I have called you. Well, life continued to go on. Finished high school, went to a tech school, worked in radio. I was a disc jockey for many, many years. It just seemed like, am I really being called or am I just being called to be a a guy that goes to church and does his part? Maybe teach Sunday school, join a church council, whatever. I didn't know. Life moved on. Made a transition from being an on-air radio announcer to a broadcast engineer. That opened up some doors that I, to this day, cannot believe that God opened. One miracle after another after another. I didn't start my engineering career in a small radio station. I started my engineering career in one of the biggest stations on the East Coast. But in time... That morphed into working for an equipment manufacturer and then a Bible college. The Bible college, well, now I'm doing God's work and I fought for the longest time. This is it. I have arrived. I have finally met the calling God had in my life to build and develop Christian radio stations. 
In time, that was not it either. I realized more and more that it was actually to preach and teach along with everything I'm doing, the Word of God, and that door finally opened as well, and I went into the ordained ministry in 1996 at the age of 42. And I've had the opportunity of preaching in churches, yet God still requires of me the skills that I accumulated over all these years. So when I talk about building platforms, I mean it. When I talk about developing other radio shows beyond mine, it needs to be done. I am envisioning an app of all things while the window is still open. Where not just this podcast, but other podcasts can reside. Website where not just this radio program, but others could reside. Also connections to to literally online Christian radio, various kind of music and genres and teaching. We truly need, we truly need to pull away from relying upon the things of this earth, which should be growing strangely dim in the light of his marvelous grace. Stop worrying about what Dr. Fauci and others are telling you. What is God telling you? That don't worry about politics don't put your trust in princes and and the sons of men you know people put your faith trust in an almighty god and if god is laying a call upon your life well maybe it's time you say here i am if you need to ask questions just go to the website truth the number two ponder.com send me an email I'm the only one that sees them anyway. Send me an email. Maybe I can help you discern. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but I want to join with you in prayer as you seek what he wants from you. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. The $34 Stuffed Bear. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Now, when I was growing up, the carnival used to come to my town every year. In the carnival were many contests and prizes if you could win, but all of them were rigged in some way to make it nearly impossible to win anything. For instance, in one game, if you can get the basketball in the hoop, you'd win a large stuffed animal. Now, only a fool would go for this, but... So I figured I'd go for it. Win a stuffed bear for my mother. But the hoops were rigged in such a way that unless the ball was shot in a perfect arc, there was no way you could get it in. So I shot and the ball bounced out. So I shot again and again and again, each time shelling out more money from my pocket. Now people were trying to stop me, but I would not be stopped. Now it was the principle of the thing. Finally, I got a ball in the hoop and I won. I won the stuffed bear for my mother. And it only cost me $34. Now, probably cost about 50 cents to produce. And so it is in life. You see, there are a lot of victories not worth winning. A lot of struggles not worth bearing. Right now, you may be working two jobs, getting more money, but losing your peace. You might be striving for success, but losing everything that's valuable to you. You might be winning the argument, but losing the war. You might be putting all your energy into more money, more comfort, more success, more acceptance, more popularity, more recognition, more whatever. And you know what it all amounts to in the end? A carnival game. It's rigged against you. Put the basketball down already. Stop striving to win a victory that'll end up making you a loser. Give up the losing battle and find your peace with God, or you'll end up paying $34 
to win a stuffed animal that's only worth 50 cents. Want more? Ask for the Pyrrhic Victories. Now, here's something that you'll love. The free gift for you, the mystery of the temple doors. You don't have to do anything to get it. You'll love it. And sapphires with the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Special teachings, updates on Israel, world events and prophecy, and the secrets of strength and victory every day of your life. How do you get all these free gifts? Shoot a basketball? No. Just remember Jesus is real Hebrew name Yeshua and dial it. It's all you do. Just dial 1-800-YESHUA-1 and you'll win. Okay, but call now. 1-800-YESHUA-1. Now I invite you to join me in bringing salvation back to God's ancient nation, Israel, and the unreached peoples of five continents with over a billion people. Just call now. 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or write me direct. The Nice Jewish Boy, Box 1111, Lodi, New Jersey. That's L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. It's a Nice Jewish Boy, Box 1111, Lodi, New Jersey, 07644. 7644. Well, till next time, this is Jonathan Khan saying Shalom Aleichem. Peace be to you, my friend and Messiah. Or Haolam, the light of the world. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And I want to welcome you back to Truth to Ponder, our Friday and in some parts of the world, the weekend edition of the program. I know a lot of people, especially those that may listen to the Voice of Hope coming from Zambia and Africa, this is the only time of the week that you hear this program, even though in the United States it airs five days a week, Monday through Thursday, and then the Friday and weekend edition, which you are also now hearing. So you may have missed a lot of what we've talked about, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program today. Right now, my focus for this program, and I really want you to pay attention because this is so important. We can talk about the news. We can talk about all the things that are wrong in the world. We can park ourselves in front of television sets and and computer screens and phones all day and dwell on all the things going wrong. It's it's the easy thing to do. But as we've been highlighting all this past week and, and for those listening now on the weekend, it is time that we who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ do something about it. We are called. We are called to bring hope and the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. We're not called to sit around and complain about all the things that are wrong. The more time we spend doing that, the less time we spend, well, doing what God has called us to do. Real quick, if you're a new listener and you want to find out more, let me just let you know about the website. You can go to truth2ponder.com, truth2ponder.com. And if you believe in the work we're doing, why not drop a letter, a note, a card, something, if you want to use regular mail. And our address here is 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane. Add the number 263, our secure box. And we are currently up in Sky Valley, two words, Sky Valley, Georgia, zip code 305 305. 
1-800-273-8837. Love to hear from you. I want to share something in just a moment. And this goes back, it's hard to believe, almost, not quite, but almost about um, four years ago, 2017. And at that time, we were in Florida, and I was working uh, somewhat part-time for one of the radio stations you hear this broadcast air, which is WRMI, doing engineering primarily. But I was also helping a mission church in Florida. And uh, I was actually preaching on that particular Sunday. Now, now this message is about a character in the scripture called John the Baptist. And many of you have heard of him. He's the one that makes straight the way of the Lord. He was baptizing and calling people to repentance. Kind of what we were supposed to be doing today. In this year of the pandemic, this year of all the trials and tribulations, a lot of people have gotten slack in their fellowship and their church. And many people have allowed themselves to be subjected to the law of men, not the law of God, in dealing with all this. And this is something that is very urgent that needs to be rectified. Now, we will we'll talk occasionally. I'm not going to be as much of a news program moving forward as we have been. But I want you to understand something extremely important. When it comes to the things of God, he always comes first. He is not subjugated to the will of men and even the laws of men. It's the other way around. And this may be one of the problems we have in the church. We have decided we know more than God. And thus, we have a church in decline. So I begin, I'm beginning to think that in some churches, the lampstand is gone. The Holy Spirit has left. And we don't even know what church is anymore. In some places, it's entertainment. In other places, it's all about social justice, climate change, and things that have nothing to do with the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. So I'd like to share this short message that I I gave to that church four years ago. And I think there's something in this message you need to hear. And I think when you get to the end of the message, I hope there's a hunger inside of you, a real hunger inside of you, where your life will be eternally changed. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm sorry we didn't have an opportunity to be with you last week. Got called out for the first time in the work that I've done at that radio facility out in Okeechobee. They had an urgent emergency in the wee hours of the morning, so off we went. And that's the first and hopefully the last time I will have to do something like that. I thought I retired from that kind of work, and I'm still doing it. Still getting bruised up. But I do kind of enjoy it. I just said, thank God you weren't preaching. (laughs) You got that right. That would have been a real problem. But um, I was thinking about this gospel lesson today. And 
when you wrap your mind around what is going on in the world and you understand how Jesus begins his earthly ministry, during this brief season of Epiphany, we quickly go through his birth, which is Christmas tide, and then at Epiphany, the manifestation of Jesus to the Gentiles, and we see him suddenly at the age of 12, and then the next time we see him is now. What happened during all these years? I mean, we he was born, and then about a year or so later, as we now understand, we we see the wise men met them in Bethlehem, and then they headed off to Egypt, and then from Egypt to Nazareth. Uh, there's also a miracle along the way. But the thing that is fascinating is they go to the temple in Jerusalem, as we learned about in these past Sundays, Jesus at age 12, disappearing in the crowd. Parents think that he's on the journey home with them, and he's still back there in the temple debating with the theologians of the day the things of God. And it's one of the most amazing bits of Scripture to me how Jesus treated his mother and father on this earth. Oh, don't you know I have to be about my father's business? Remember that from last week? And now we suddenly jump forward and he's 30 some odd years of age. I mean, when you think about it, we see the babe in Bethlehem, the toddler in Bethlehem heading to Egypt. The next time he's 12, the age of a bar mitzvah, becoming a man, and suddenly in his 30s. What happened in those 20 years? From the time that he was 12 to the time that he was 31, 32, and 33. We don't know. All we know is that he apparently spent that time assisting his earthly father in Nazareth. That's all we know. The Bible is totally silent on a whole 20-year stretch of Jesus' life. And then, and then he suddenly comes onto the scene. And we suddenly catch up with him at the, way, the wedding in Cana, where, you know, hey, I'm not ready to do my thing yet, but for you, Mom, I'll do it. That's what, when you think about it, that's pretty much what he said. You know, they ran out of wine. And Jesus looks at his mother, it's not my time yet, but for you, why not? And there we saw the essence of Jesus' ministry in a very small but profound way. Think about that. He turned that water into wine and as the wine steward who checked the wine said, you know, normally, normally we serve the good wine first. And when they've had their fill, basically when they are fallen over drunk, then we give them the good, we give them the cheap stuff. They don't care then at that point. But you have saved the best for last. That's not how we do things. Jesus never did anything as we do things. And that's the point.
But he did one thing in obedience to his own father that we see in today's gospel. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. You know, the guy that was eating locust and honey, dressed, I mean, can you imagine this guy today walking around? Make ye straight the way of the Lord. They lock him up. But there he is out at the River Jordan. And he only knows one thing that he's been called to do. He is the one that is foretold in the Old Testament, the one that makes straight the way of the Lord. Now, once again, I could sit there and debate with the Heavenly Father and say, would you explain to me why you needed this guy that looked that wild and weird out in the desert, and he's the one that's going to usher in the Messiah? Doesn't make sense to me. Isn't there a better way to do this? But this is how God works in the ways that we don't understand, the way that, conf that confounds the mind of man. That's how God operates. He doesn't have to do things our way. He's going to do it his way. And when you begin to understand why he does the things that he does for our benefit, and then we see this little passage from today. There's John out there doing what he's been doing for how many weeks, months, years? You know, just dunking him in the Jordan, picking him back up. Next, uh, dunk him in the, you know, be baptized, have the sins removed away from you. And why people, and this is what I've always never understood. We read this passage. We know this guy looks like the lunatic fringe out in the desert. Yet people are flocking out there and allowing themselves to be baptized by this guy. Why? What did they know? What was being witnessed on their heart that they needed to submit to this cleansing, to this simple act? Martin Luther sums it up quite well, what baptism is. It's simple water mixed with the word of God. And just incredible things happen. Incredible things happen. And so here comes Jesus on that day, heading toward the River Jordan. He's got his first couple of followers beginning to come together. This is the beginning of his calling. But before Jesus gets started, what's the first thing he does? He himself submits to being baptized by John. And even John, who understands inside, this is the Agnes Day, the Lamb of God. This is the Messiah, whose shoes I'm not even worthy to untie or tie. And if anybody, I should be baptized by you, not me. I shouldn't be doing this. But no, what happens right after Jesus is baptized? One of the accounts in one of the Gospels says, the sky opened up, there was a dove, and the words, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Think about that. Jesus, in obedience to his father, subjected his earthly body to being baptized, though he really didn't 
need to be baptized because he had no sins to take away. But he will have all the sins of mankind, yours, 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 and mine, on him soon enough. Baptism, baptism is something we do in obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, we can debate, and I'm not going to do it today, but anybody that would like to understand where did the practice of baptizing little ones start, started with St. Paul. You know, he, St. Paul was an interesting character called of God. And if you read carefully and study the book of Acts, and I remember doing a year study on it in college, and you understand the nuances and the other writings of the day and, and the early history, St. Paul would probably be the worst bishop or pastor on the face of the earth. Absolutely the guy you would never hire. He couldn't do any book work. He couldn't keep any records. You know, he'll tell you, well, I don't know. I went to so-and-so's place. We're over there in this city, and I was in these houses, and I baptized, oh, I don't know, everybody, the servants, the kids. I'm surprised he didn't baptize the dog. I mean, he was just on such a zeal to proclaim and to be and to get people into that obedience and to be to experience that water and God's word and the change that it makes in our lives. I'm amazed, and I doubt if it applies here, but it might, or to somebody hearing me today, how many that go to church that love the Lord that have not been baptized. Yeah, I've run into that in my ministry. I had years ago a church had this delightful individual want to join. And, you know, just a routine question, have you been baptized? Oh, I don't know. Took care of that pretty quick. And you realize this, what we consider lesser sacrament, though that is, is not lesser. To me, it's one of the most beautiful. I have a hard time doing baptisms because I always have tears in my eyes. Every child, every adult that I've ever baptized, it just, it is overwhelming to feel that spirit of the living God and to realize that I am taking this precious child, whether the child is young or 90, and this precious child of God is being marked, being set apart, being as Luther said, we don't understand it, we can't comprehend it, but with God's word, this simple water does things beyond who we are and what our minds and our hearts could ever conceive. You notice Jesus took the simple things. If you go later in his ministry, now that he has his disciples called, and they've walked away from their earthly jobs and whatever the case may be. And here they are wandering through this area, not far from Jerusalem, a ragtag bunch if there ever was one. And for all those three years, they are listening to the master and learning from him. And they finally made their way to Jerusalem 
to celebrate the Passover. Now, if you remember the sermon I gave you around Christmas time and talked about how Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, notice that even John said that in today's gospel. Who is that? That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I pointed out some of the understanding the scholars have today that Jesus was born in Bethlehem where the lambs for the temple were birthed. Isn't that amazing that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, came where the lambs came from? No doubt. Born like a lamb would have been born in the day. And then he approaches John, the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. And he was baptized. Hard to understand how Jesus explains to his disciples the night in which he was betrayed. What we as Christians get to share in just a few minutes at this table. The incredible real presence of Jesus Christ. He gave his disciples this wonderful gift. The word sacrament, I love the word. Yeah, it's a man-made word to kind of explain to the best that we can what these things that some churches call ordinances are. It is something that Jesus instituted and participated in like he was baptized. So he is a participant. He calls for it. Jesus offered himself one perfect and sufficient sacrifice for all mankind. And he's telling his disciples that one of the most beautiful things that he tells disciples on that, that day before he is crucified. And he offers them the bread and says, take eat, this is my body which is given for you. Take and drink, this is the blood of the New Testament which is given for you and for many for the remission, for the taking away of your sins. And then we lose track of one of the words from the Greek. When he says, do this in remembrance, we kind of say, okay, that's a memorial. Not exactly. It goes one step further. That word really brings us to bring into today those things of the past. We transcend time. In this table, we commune with all the Christians that ever were and those that are yet to come. Because our God transcends space and time. It's obedience to being baptized, to enjoying the fruits and the benefits of the Lord's table that can strengthen. Ever notice the words that I use when I hand you the bread? To strengthen and preserve you. Strengthen and preserve you. Until that time, and see, Jesus says, the day will come, as he told his disciples. I will not drink of this cup until I drink it anew with you in that kingdom yet to come. People have asked me, because I spent a lot of time working in what would be called evangelical circles. I worked for an evangelical college for a number of years, building their radio ministry. How did you ever end up in a traditional faith like an Anglican? Now, I started out as a Lutheran, but then I took a detour as a Baptist and came back to the fold. It's because of the fullness of the faith, faith once delivered. What I like about 
we were talking about this over breakfast, the structure, the understanding, the history across the ages. The church is alive. And I, I'm getting ready to walk into my retirement to build the church. What a way to retire. I'll ask this question. What goes through your mind when that opportunity comes to come to this table? What feelings do you have? Is it something we do out of an obligation? Okay, I got to go up there and kneel down. I'll hold it to Britain. Or does something more awe-inspiring take place? Sometimes we get so tied up in the hymns, the order of service, what's going on this afternoon, what happened last night, last week, next week, that we lose sight of those precious few moments that we come into his presence and he becomes real to us. I want him to be so real to you today when you come forward that you become full of such joy, such happiness and fulfillment that the cares of this life suddenly become so unimportant. That's my prayer for you. All those that love the Lord are invited to this table, and I hope that you'll take advantage of being in his presence today. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I come, O Savior, to your table For weak and weary is my soul O Jesus, you alone are able To satisfy and make me
hope that our time on today's program has been a blessing for you. Maybe you learned something. Maybe God is speaking to your heart. There's a lot we need to be doing in the days and weeks ahead. No doubt in my mind about that. We live in a very different and changing time. Being a faithful Christian is going to be more difficult day by day. Be ready for it. I really need to see this radio program grow. I want to see things that we can do to have other platforms not relying on the tech tyrants so we can share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can worship again in spirit and in truth and in his presence. It's not about us. It's about him. This program has been a blessing to you, which you consider financially supporting it. The airtime is what we're paying for on shortwave. You can make a check out to Ancient Word Radio and mail it to 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263 in Sky Valley, Georgia, 30537. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, Visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.